Welcome to Summon Your Superhuman. I'm your host, Ria Mestiza, holistic health coach, mind-body performance practitioner, and this is the Pull the Curtains Back insight into how everyday superheroes have experienced tapping into their superhuman potential. To go from fear, frustration, and struggle to soaring next-level astronomical heights, I believe we all have more amazing within us than we know. I believe we all have unique superpowers, and I believe we all deserve to be our superhuman best. So let's dive in. Welcome back, Superhuman. Today, I'm coming to you bright and early in Australian time, but uh, my guest is the fabulous Ellen Elizabeth, who's coming to us from Colorado Springs. She is an infertility warrior and recovery advocate who uses her skills as an author and sober mother of twins to coach women struggling with feelings of shame and inadequacy. These mothers feel powerless to quit drinking or are unable to bring a child into the world. Through radical honesty and recovery principles, Ellen inspires mums and their partners in all forms to define who they want to be and transform their demons into dreams. She's been featured in publications such as Authority Magazine, Collective World and Recovery Today Magazine, as well as dozens of other podcasts. So I'm so honored to have you here today. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to chat with you. Yes. And the other thing I was about to say is you have a family of five, including the fur baby, the dog. (laughs) Can't forget the fur baby. (laughs) But yes. So you're a infertility warrior and recovery advocate. Yes. So basically, I kind of came up with the term infertility warrior. I don't know if it's a thing or not, but I battled it and overcame. Um, My husband and I had issues conceiving together. It seemed we were not compatible. It was simply diagnosed as unexplained infertility, but we went through all the possible things we could and then ended up doing IVF, which brought us our twin babies. So they're now three and a half, so not so much babies anymore, but um, it was all intertwined with my battle with addiction, which is where the recovery advocate comes from. Um, I just like to be someone who advocates for the recovery community, speaks out, tells my story. I feel that being very vulnerable and open could possibly help save someone's life. So I try to be as honest as possible. 100%. And it's so invaluable for people to have the courage to share their story because it's not easy. It's certainly not an easy task. So which came first? I'm assuming the, you know, the, the alcohol and that being a problem obviously was first. Correct. So my addiction actually started out with a bang and I went straight to hard drugs and did that before I even really started drinking. So I did those for about three and a half years and it was all within um, a very toxic relationship. So he basically introduced me to everything and I didn't realize when we met that he was actually already an addict and using. Um, So I think once we were together for several months, he thought, hey, now's a good time to kind of show her what it is so that we can do it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was just a really downward spiral. It was right during my college years. um, So I didn't have a normal college life, so to speak, because I was just following him around doing 
drugs and not really making friends at school and doing things like that. So once we finally, I finally got the courage to break up with him and I was able to quit the drugs, but then that's when I started drinking. So Mm -hmm. that started around the age of 21. So the drugs were like 18 to 21 and then 21 to 32 was drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And we started trying our family around 29, I want to say when I was 29. Yeah. So you're still with your partner now? Yes. So we have been married seven years, but together 13. And so he's seen me at my worst. We also met when we were both in our mid twenties. So, you know, it was normal to go out a lot, have drinks a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we definitely partied together. Um, he, simply was the one who could stop. Um, so he's, he's what we call normie, um, which Mm -hmm. means he can have one beer and be done, um, which us alcoholics just don't understand that. And, um, so he, you know, it's been quite the journey to go through like drinking together and then him encouraging me to stop and me not being able to, and then, helping find a rehab for me to go to and then learning who I am now that I'm sober. So it's been quite the um, journey for our relationship, but overall it's much better now that I'm not drinking. So how long has it been now since? Um, I haven't had a drink for five and a half years. Congratulations. Thank you. So the, obviously your, your husband now is not the toxic relationship you first started with Correct. Yes. <laughs> just yep. to reiterate that <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> I mean there are impressionable years you know I, I I think the similar partner I was with when I was 18 wasn't the, the best relationship either so it's you're, you're in an impressionable time to be right. introduced to things like that that are not you know valuable to our college years or in our lives in general so glad exactly. to hear that that uh, ended (laughs) me too (laughs) yeah so what how how did you because I mean once you're in the midst of all that it it gets pretty hazy to realize it's time to go you know when you're in Mm -hmm. you're deep in the pit of it it definitely was a denial years of denial Um, I knew when I first started drinking I thought it was pretty normal and thought most 21 year olds were going out all the time and getting drunk every night. And, you know, I surrounded myself with those types of people. So it did look normal um, because, you know, I didn't want to hang out with sober people. I wanted to go drink with people. And once I progressed a little more, it got to where I was hiding it. Um, even when I lived by myself, I hid some in a little cupboard so that if people came over, I could have a little more than they were, you know, without them knowing. And once I moved in with my now husband was when the hiding really started. Cause then, you know, there's someone there all the time. And my tolerance was astronomically higher than most people. Um, so I always needed a little pre pre party by myself in the closet, Mm -hmm. um, where I was hiding everything. And around those times I would sneak away to the closet and then go to the bathroom to wash my mouth out with Listerine. So, you know, it wasn't smelly or whatever. And I would just look into the mirror and say in my head, 
I'm pretty sure this isn't normal. You have a drinking problem. You're probably going to have to stop. But then I would just shrug it off and be like, no, I can't live without it. I don't even know how to do that. This is what I need to do. Um, And that happened for years. And, you know, even at that time, there were negative things happening. I was starting to become very angry instead of the funny, giggly drunk. I was now the like rage, angry, drunk, um, trying to get in fights, knocking doors down with my body, you know, just not normal things at all. And um, those, you know, I just was like, well, I overdid it last night. Sorry. You know, I'll try not to do it again. And then it got to the point where my husband would be like, can you try to take it easy tonight? You know, we're going to be in front of some people and I don't want to be embarrassed. And I'd always try and it never worked. So I just never knew when to stop once I started. Um, so, you know, it's, it was years leading up to the actual day Mm -hmm. that I decided it was enough. Mm. There's a, there's a lot there, but I, I I feel like that gradual buildup, you know, of trying to keep it a secret and, and trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, it's the shame that you would have felt in having to do everything in private behind closed doors without people knowing and then that gradual decline in your self-worth in in you know understandably looking back now you could probably see that you just were because you weren't giggling and it wasn't fun anymore because you knew it was a problem right do you agree it was like once you try to control it and you can't it's just becomes like an obsession and we try anything to make it work it's like I tried to not mix tequila with vodka I you know if I was drinking vodka I wouldn't have red wine I'd have white wine and then you know no beers before and try not to do this and that and it's just like you're spending your whole life trying to make this balance that's never going to work because no matter what we can't put it down when we want to um yeah and it when I started my recovery journey, um, someone told me, you just have to put as much time and effort into your sobriety as you did into your addiction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, okay. So I obsessed about drinking all day long. And then I would find places to hide it. I'd spend hours going to different liquor stores. So they wouldn't think I was had a problem and I'd drive out of the way to go there. And I'd hide it in this water bottle and I'd throw it away here. (laughs) And so it's like, I should spend all my time working on sobriety because that's what I did when I was drinking. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's thinking about like how, if you put it, that channel all that effort into something of value, you know, like exactly how much you could have achieved. Right. Um, it's like a full-time job trying to <laughs> keep your secret. Literally. And it's, it's definitely not an easy one, you know, so it's, it's not rewarding and it is, it is slow. It slowly, slowly did devalue your, your worth in yourself and your self-esteem and everything like that. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, having your partner sort of bring it to your attention a little bit more might've been helpful. Like it would have been like, Hey, I like, you know, cause when, when you're in a loving relationship, it's like, they start to see, you know, that you're not treating yourself the best and mm-hmm. they want better for you. Yes, it definitely planted a seed at the same time I was actively so deep in the addiction that it also 
pissed me off and you know, I was still in denial about it. Um, so when he would say things like try to take it easy tonight, you know, I just felt controlled and I'd be like, well, I'm going to retaliate, you know, and show him that I can do it. But then, you know, it would just be like, well, I showed him that I can't do it and I embarrassed him again. So it was, it was like that vicious cycle where you're just so ashamed and so embarrassed and hate yourself. But then you're like, well, I need this to numb all those feelings and feel better about myself. But then it just starts over. Yeah. So that that pivotal pivotal last moment for you, which made you go to rehab, is that what? Yes, I did. Was that like, was there something that happened that was just like, okay, that's it, enough? There were several things leading up to it. A lot of it was the infertility stuff. Um, okay. I did, you know, we'd been doing years of treatments and I'd never been able to quit. So I was drinking through all the treatments. I, I was drinking through all the weeks that they call it the two week wait, where you're waiting to find out if the treatment worked. Mm -hmm. And, um, pretty much every time we did a treatment, I was just terrified because I wanted it so bad, but I knew I couldn't quit. And mm -hmm. I thought, even if I got pregnant, you know, will I even be able to stop? Like, would I just try to have one shooter every night instead of six or you know how would I survive without it and then how would this be baby be healthy so I was just so scared that I would have to give it up so that was in the back of my mind the whole time and then there was an incident where I drove in a blackout and called my husband I have no memory of any of it, but he found me passed out in a parking lot with the car running and the door open and liquor bottles in the car. Oh, so just really scary. And he was, has like, he still has, you know, PTSD a little bit from all that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, our relationship was just getting worse and worse. And the last week I drank was the first time I actually brought it into my office with me. So I'd had this job for several years and took it very seriously and was always, you know, five to 10 was my time to drink, not like during the day. So I was very straight laced at work and nobody figured I had an issue. Um, and until the last week of drinking, um, I needed it at six in the morning to feel better because I was still basically drunk and um I was just wasted at at lunchtime at work and knew I couldn't talk knew I couldn't walk like could easily have been fired and again I called my husband to the rescue and he was like what what <laughs> what it's 12 o'clock you know you're at work what what's going on and I was like I just really need you to come get me because they're gonna find out and so he came and picked me up and I passed out in the car and when I woke up he and my parents had looked for rehab places yeah wow all knew for so long that it was you know they just knew I liked to drink a lot my husband knew the the most of it because he lived with me mm. um but it was just seeing me like that and realizing it just had come to a place where I couldn't get out of it myself. Absolutely. Well, thank goodness you had loving support around you. Exactly. <laughs> I know not everyone has that and it's so much harder. I know that, I mean, even people in the rehab were saying, 
you know, my wife was doing cocaine with me the day I came in here and, you know, she's going to keep doing it. And there's not the support there, you know, when you have a loved one who's still like actively using right when you get out of rehab, that's generally a huge trigger. So (laughs) it was great that my family was super supportive. They removed alcohol from the house and didn't drink in front of me. And so yeah, it's been, it's been so helpful just having the support system. That's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all that, Ellen. I know of it's course. not easy, you know, like um, to share all that. It's so, to having lived through that and gone through that, you know, that's why it's so important that, to share it and for, for, for us to, to hear it because you right. know, it's, it doesn't matter what form of addiction you might be going through. Like if you have to hide it, um it's it's generally not okay you know like you 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 know your instincts are telling you it's if you're hiding it it's it's not something to be proud about and um unfortunately alcohol sort of falls under that thing where it's so readily available it's so socially acceptable it's actually weird if you don't drink um you know so I I quit drinking in 2018 I mean it was kind of forced upon me because I had an anaphylactic reaction to food and it sort of was part of my journey in Mm -hmm. trying to restore my body's health so I decided I was going to quit alcohol and people just thought it was the most bizarre thing and I was just like what do you mean like I just I've look I've drank plenty in my life like I think I'll be right (laughs) for a while right I know it's so crazy that you have to justify not drinking and I always, I always say like, when I quit drugs, nobody was like, Hey, why didn't you smoke crack this morning? Like, are you okay? Is there something wrong with you? But it's like, Oh my God, you're not drinking is, you know, are you sick? Are you pregnant? You know, what's wrong? And it's just absolutely crazy to me. So it, most people that know me by now, you know, I'm pretty open about my addiction and sobriety, but at the beginning, it was just like, oh my God, what do I say? People are so weird and people are still so uncomfortable around me. They have no idea how to interact with me because I'm not drunk. And there's just certain places I don't even go anymore because I know that they just can't handle it. Yeah. It's, it's sad that that's a reality. I know it really (laughs) is, but it truly is. So you've probably felt it too, or experienced it a lot especially 2018 that's quite a few years which is amazing yeah it was four years I didn't didn't touch alcohol at all Um, yeah and then you know I got to that point where I I was in a position where I could try something if I wanted to and it's for the pure appreciation of like a good glass of wine or something like that Mm -hmm. but my my tolerance was so extreme (laughs) that like literally I would have a sip and I'm like Ooh, okay. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm good. That was great. Yeah. So it's having that control to choose mm-hmm. and, and at, thankfully over that period of time, people have stopped pressuring me right. into just having some, and I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I don't want any, thank you. And, uh, the, the benefits out of it was, well, I mean, I got to experience that, you know, that stigma, um, around mm-hmm. it and, too I heightened my other senses in smell and mm-hmm. <laughs> things mm-hmm. like that so I was still choosing the wine for people at dinner but I wasn't drinking it right so. <laughs> I know it's so interesting my husband will come home and I'll be like 
how was your beer? And he's like, what? And I was like, well, I can smell it. Well, you know, I'm not judging you. I was just asking how your beer was because I can smell it from like 10 feet away. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely heightened, isn't it? You know, once you, mm-hmm. once you don't have it, so. Right, yeah, it's so um, interesting. So it was interesting as well, because I, I didn't realize that there was a crossover between your, um, you know, you're trying to have babies or maybe you obviously weren't planning to have twins. Yeah. <laughs> you were trying to get pregnant, but at the same time, you were still in that transition or not even transition at that time. You were still trying to quit and trying mm-hmm. to have a baby. Um, so I'm assuming once you started to, you know, go through the rehab process, that's, that's when you reach, you tried again. Yes. So like I said, we've been trying probably a year and a half as I was still actively drinking. And I just know, obviously I believe like the universe has everything planned according to how it's supposed to work out. And so it, the universe knew like she should not be pregnant right now. Um, so that's a blessing for Mm -hmm. sure. And after rehab, I stayed sober, you know, for, six months, eight months, nine months. Um, and it was close to a year when we did start trying again. And, um, you know, I, I told all the doctors that, you know, this is what I've been through and none of them were like, well, you know, you probably infertile cause you're drink- you were drinking so much. Like no one said that they just said, you know, well, that it's good. You stopped pretty much. Um, so it was nice because sometimes some, some doctors aren't super you know positive and there's still a stigma even with doctors around alcoholism um but we did start trying again and I was able to stay sober through all of it and then like I said um we did have to do IVF so we took a few months off just to chill and not worry about anything before starting that process um but it worked so that worked the first time which was nice because everything else had been a fail up till that. Um, so it was a very exciting time. And to be completely honest, um, pregnancy was the time I wanted to drink the most (laughs) since getting sober. I was so just the hormones and how I felt so awful and was cranky and sleepy. I could sleep for like 16 hours and I just felt so triggered with all of it that that was really the hardest time for me to be sober, which is weird to most people. They would be like, well, you're pregnant. Why would you even think about drinking? And it's like, well, I'm an addict. So that's what I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was really was the hard. Element, and then sorry, right? the element of feeling better, isn't it? Like that exactly. kind of your, your mind is telling you that you'll feel better if you drink. Right yes. And you won't feel this way anymore. You know, everything will be better. Um, so yep. I was able, you know, I got through that and my son was, so we have boy, girl twins. Um, my son was born with a birth defect that, um, he would have aspirated and died right away if he hadn't had surgery. Um, so it was a very intense beginning of his life, um, which was also incredibly stressful, but, you know, throughout all those, I mean, I was, I was doing like AA meetings regularly and working a program regularly. Um, but I think if I hadn't been doing that, it would have been much easier to, to go get something. Mm-hmm. And like you said, 
alcohol is absolutely on every corner, um, which I always say, you know, I think it was easier for me to quit the drugs just because I got rid of that boyfriend and cut off everything off with those friends. And mm. it's not like there's drug store, like that yeah. type of drug store everywhere. Yeah, exactly. You can't just go to the corner store and, and get some cocaine or something like right, that. Yeah. <laughs> but yet sugar is on every corner and you can I know, yeah. <laughs> and I definitely have a sugar addiction now, which is totally cliche for alcoholics because there's just so much sugar in the alcohol. But yeah, I'm like, well, I do eat too much sugar for sure. <laughs> well, one step at a time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what a blessing you got twins in I know. the once all was done you know I mean not done but like you know you've gone through that process you were in a better place you were blessed with with two beautiful babies one of each mm-hmm. uh, I which know. Is wonderful and yeah and you and you were able to you know go through all of the hard emotions and the mind games of pregnancy mm-hmm. and so, not drink which yeah <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's so I've heard some um, women who struggle with addiction or alcoholism. Um, to me, they're both the same, but yeah, and they're able to quit drinking when they're pregnant. And I'm just like, that's amazing. But then they start again, you know, as soon as their baby yes. is born. Um, but to me, that wasn't even, you know, I it was unimaginable to even be able to think of doing it for, you know nine months let alone one day so it, it, it's just so interesting how it affects everyone so differently and you know some people can quit for years and then start up again and it's still just back to where it was being you know progressively worse and worse and then some feel like they can have one or two and seem to stick with that so it's just an, an interesting disease to me mm. yeah so being someone who is now openly sharing their story and writing about it, which is uh, exciting, um, what are those principles that you, you like to speak about to sort of help guide perhaps other people on their, on their journey through something as hard as what you've gone through? My first thing is always to tell people that it's okay, you're not alone, because when you're in all of those feelings and all of the shame and self-hatred, you think, you know, no one else is going through this. I'm all alone in this. And, you know, there was one day when I was at work and I was so hungover and I was walking to the bathroom and I was like, I guarantee no one in this building is hungover right now and dreaming about booze. But there could have been like six people that were going through the same thing. We just, you know, it's not talked about. So just being able to know you're not alone and then asking for help um, is the most important because there are so many people out there willing to help. There's so many. I've found tons of online communities that help with recovery that I wouldn't have even known about. And um, there's not just one way to recover. You know, it's not like you have to do AA and that's the only way that works. Um, You know, there's tons of things you can do. Um, And so it's really just the community is so important, the recovery community, or if it's something different, that's not recovery related, you know, it's parenting issues, or like I went through infertility, or just, you know, anxiety, depression, there's just so many 
people struggling with the same thing that it's just knowing you're not alone and knowing there's a community out there that understands you. Yeah. I think fortunately in this day and age, it is more spoken about uh, and in both the addiction side of things and also in infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how would you, how do you speak to other couples who are, you know, going through their difficulties, you know, in, in how do you, how do you speak to them? It's really, it depends because every couple goes through things differently. So I never experienced miscarriages or, you know, stillbirths or any things like that. You know, I just experienced failed procedures. Um, So you kind of have to know exactly what they've been through to know how to talk to them. But again, just letting them know there's not alone if they need to speak to a grief type counselor, if they have experienced lots of loss like that, um, knowing where to point them in the right direction. And then just, you know, sharing what I went through and um, with infertility, it's so hard because it's like you want to give up, but you, you don't um, because you really want a family. So just the mindset that, you know, you can keep going. There are other options, even if it's not you know, you can adopt, you can have a surrogate, you can get donor sperm and eggs. And it's, it just depends what point of their journey they're on. Cause some people aren't even at the point where they're thinking of adoption or, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that. They just want it to be the husbands and the wives mixed together. And that's how it's going to be. So it depends where they are in their, in their journey of it. Yeah. Well, what was the the point for you for you and your husband then that you know after trying and, and not being successful, what was that um, you know encouragement to to try once more to try again? So I think for us it was just, I mean, part of me is like, why did the doctor keep me on the same med for like eight months when obviously it wasn't working? Um, but at the time, you're not thinking about that. You're just you know, the next cycle starts then. So let's get moving. Um, well, your hormones are then, so all over the place as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it really takes the fun out of intimacy for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but we knew IVF would be the last thing that we tried, um, essentially. And we, you know, knew we'd think of adoption if it didn't work, but that was the last actual thing we would go through together um so we just kind of like had a plan of you know we'll do this for a little bit of time and then we'll try this next step and then we'll go to the next step um and again it probably depends on the doc like I feel like our doctors could have done a few things differently um and I also think just the medical field in general is kind of wonky in America um definitely just they you know sucked our money out of us for sure um and that could have been part of their plan that we just didn't know about um Mm -hmm. but I definitely think we could have done fewer treatments and gotten to the IVF faster if that makes sense absolutely I've I mean I've worked with women who've gone through quite horrid experiences to be honest and I'm thinking right why are they taking you through this route like it doesn't even make logical sense to me Right. I completely agree. And I've met um, so many more like holistic type 
medicine healers and now I'm doing a lot more Eastern medicine type things, which I didn't even think about doing. Like this is all like within my sobriety, I'm learning about all this stuff and getting more spiritual and all those things. Um, and I'm like, man, I wish I kind of had this in my brain as an option back then. Um, but it's just kind of pushed on you here. Like we're the doctors, this is what you do, you know, yeah, that's what we believe will help. So yeah, follow the traditional path is right. Exactly. Usually what we're led to believe, but I know, <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, and that, and that's part of my health journey as well is, is having gone through all of the traditional paths and not work and be told right. to live with it and deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that just doesn't vibe with me. <laughs> so right. I'm a, I'm a solution specialist. You know, I like mm -hmm. to, I like to find the solution to things and, don't tell me I can't or actually tell me I can't because then that only just then it'll motivate you yeah, yeah pretty much <laughs> I've had um doctors so I have an autoimmune disease mm -hmm. um that I just found about like a year ago which could have contributed to infertility but obviously not sure because no one ever tested me for it then yeah. um but this I told this doctor like I want a referral to a specialist because I want to find the root cause and figure out how, like what we can work on to and he was like nope there's no root cause you just deal with it and I was like okay so I'm not coming to you anymore <laughs> I'm gonna switch to a different doctor but like who how is there not a root cause to an autoimmune disorder it's just like blows my mind sometimes um yes. and so yeah, I'm like, well, I'll find someone else who can help. But still the fact that an actual medical person told me that was mm -hmm. blowing. So yeah, that was a massive turning point for me. So with my anaphylactic reaction, it turned out to be an autoimmune, you know, it's stemming mm -hmm. from an autoimmune, let's say, you know, base, a foundation. Right. And so mm -hmm. I had to find the resolution. So then the, um, the doctor who I went to see was like, oh, no, it, it's fine. Like MSG isn't a problem and gluten isn't a problem and all these things, are, you know, and I was like, you're an allergist doctor and you're telling people that it's okay. Like that's, have you read a paper recently? You know, right. yeah. Uh, I was completely dumbfounded and, you know, and I actually even had a reaction on the table as they were doing testing on me and he insinuated that I was being weak uh, that I, to the pin pricking. And I'm like, I don't care about the pin pricking. I care about the fact that my whole body is convulsing, um, and you're not helping me at all. And wow. so $500 later, I was leaving that office and I went, right, I need to go get some sort of certification so that mm -hmm. I can actually give people better advice right. <laughs> than what this than guy is doctor. doing yeah I just could not believe it I was absolutely dumbfounded and but thankfully it led me on my journey and yeah uh, and so a... the book that I'm currently uh, working on actually so it's, it's interesting cool. you brought that up because it's just yeah it's like the universe is just it's constantly affirming that that's what I need to do because yeah what you just said it's like people need to know that there are other routes to find the root cause of the problem and not just to set the status quo so that's basically right. everything that I'm putting together into a format Ooh. where it's like all right find your path and like mm -hmm. work, you know find your solutions so 
So thank you awesome. for affirming yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to read it when it comes out. Yes, but let's let's talk about split ends because this is your memoir that you're working on. It's uh, coming yeah. out in the near future. I, I hope it is. So I'm working right now to find a traditional publisher, but I'm giving myself a few more months to work on that. And if nothing comes of it, I'm self-publishing. So mm -hmm. I'm super excited. I'm just ready for it to be out in the world. And, um, you know, I started writing it around COVID and I've always loved writing. I've always journaled. I've always been good at it. And, um, it just came naturally and it was very cathartic and fe or healing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it was just not like it was easy, but it just came like the actual words came easily, but actually writing it was like, oh my God, this is quite the process. Um, so I had no idea what publishing a book was like. I thought, you know, oh, I'll write a book and it'll be published and everything will be great. And, yeah. you know, I'm learning as I go that there's a lot that it entails. So um, it'll be, I just know it'll resonate with a lot of people. And I hope it brings to light some hard issues that people don't like to talk about. Hmm. I, I, I'm just curious because split ends actually really, you know, intrigues me, but I don't want you to give away too much, but like that, that name, like that title. Yeah. So it came, um, I had a few different titles and I did some like journaling around it. And, um, one of my biggest like anxiety disorders I have is called trichotillomania, which is, um, hair pulling disorder. So, um, I incorporated that into the book and basically related all of my, um, you know, dark negative issues to like an actual split end. And, you know, every time something bad would happen, you know, another split would go into the hair or something like that. So it's um, once you start reading it, it all makes sense. Uh, that's it. where split ends came from, but it was, it's all because of my hair pulling disorder that that came to me. I love it. I literally got goosebumps as you were saying that. So um, it's the right name. <laughs> yes. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So this has been, been amazing connecting with you today. You too. A question that I ask everyone who is on the podcast is, what does summoning your superhuman mean to you? For me, I was thinking of that when I saw the title, um, being your most authentic self, I think. Um, for me, I would, I call my sobriety my superpower um, because if I don't have it, then I, I don't have anything else. Like my family goes away, my kids and mm -hmm everything I've been working for would be gone. And so to have that as a superpower is, you know, just the most important power I have. So summoning your superhuman to me is actually being the authentic person, most importantly to yourself. Um, because if you don't self-love, self-care, do all those types of things, then you're never going to be that superhuman that you want to. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, it's, and when, as you were saying that it's like Superman and his kryptonite, you know, it's like, exactly. you, said, you said my superpower is my sobriety and, you know, without it, I lose everything. Mm -hmm. So it's just like how he loses all his powers. It's yeah, right. exactly. 
beautiful thank you so much thank you of course and thank you so much for your time today um i want to encourage everyone to connect with uh, ellen she's at it's ellen elizabeth on her social channels facebook and instagram and also it's ellen elizabeth.com so yeah is there a um a place where we can sort of pre-order or get on a waiting list to find out about when your book comes out Yes, absolutely. So if you sign up for my newsletter, um, so if you go to my website, it's ellenelizabeth.com, it'll prompt you to sign up for my email list. And that's where you can stay up to date with everything. And obviously, I'll be promoting it on social media and all of that. But the first, um, first words will come out from my newsletter. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to reading your book one day. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Of course, it was awesome to talk with you. Being authentically you, because nothing feels as good or better than being who you truly are. And I really want to bring back those principles that she spoke about, and I want you to feel these words. You are not alone. And it really doesn't matter where you're at on your journey, but especially if there is something that you feel shameful about, embarrassed about, uncomfortable with, it's okay to talk about it. And I love that people are feeling more comfortable about talking about it. And it is no easy task to ask for help. I know it's easier said than done. It really is. But if you don't ask, you don't get. And trying to go it alone makes it feel like the lonely process so if you know someone and I think we all do that have gone through a a big challenge like Ellen has or you might be going through your own I hope that there is something that you're able to talk about with someone you care about and I hope that this has opened up a conversation or a process of thought that can assist you in making sense of where you're at and what you want to add on you know it's a matter of I think that I need to ask for help and it could be a family member or a friend or it could be a professional you know I get a lot of people that come to me with health issues addictions behaviors like I it's a whole mixed bag and you know they're often pleasantly surprised when I have zero judgment for what they're coming to me with because everyone goes through something. So you are not alone and you are ultimately superhuman. So please strengthen your mind, body and soul muscles and stay amazing.